teams sit right on the baseline. The big fella from New Zealand. When we cut him off baseline, he started walking in there. Welcome on to the Baseline Podcast, uh, bringing you another exciting guest from the States, uh, David Zenon. NBA skills trainer. David, thanks for joining me today. How are things over there for you? Everything's good over here, my man. Everything's doing well. How about yourself? Yeah, good, man. Yep. Um, we got pro comp happening down here, which is awesome. Um, yeah, pretty, as I was saying before the pod, things are pretty good in New Zealand. Uh, I am hanging out to get back to the States, but that can wait. <laughs> <laughs> well, most certainly it can wait, but looking forward to, looking forward to you coming back, bro. <laughs> um, we're just gonna rip right in. Um, tell me about your journey. Like I know we we, we you know we talk a little bit on Twitter, and um, I think you know your story is a bit of an inspiring one in terms of not just what you you do for the kids in the game, but um, yeah, sort of how you got to where you are and and um, and yeah, your beginnings. Yeah, just strictly right out of college, uh, was coaching a lot of travel teams, a lot of AU teams. You know, you don't make a lot of money doing that. And, you know, I was coaching also at White Plains High School, which the head coach there, Spencer Mayfield, he's an advanced scout or he was an advanced scout for the Utah Jazz. So, you know, just picking his brain and then learning the ins and outs of how NBA offenses and defenses work, because that's what we ran at White Plains pretty much. It was really, really cool to see that and to learn that. But as I said, you don't make a lot of money. and <laughs> You're kind of in a situation where, you know, the love of the game doesn't pay the bills, but uh, long story short, I had a young man who hit me up and I was down to the last couple of dollars to my name. You know, you just, you're struggling. And uh, he's like, listen, I heard you're a good trainer. I'm trying to make my varsity basketball team. You know, I can meet you at wherever. So I used the last $5 to put that in gas to get, to get, this, get to this workout, man. And Literally, you know, well, the, the debit card had like 475, 470 something on it. And I found a quarter in the little, you know, cup compartment, glove compartment thing and I gave it to the attendant. And I'm like, listen, I know it's, it sounds bad, but can you put a quarter? <laughs> yeah, I said, listen, I need as much gas as I can, as I can to get to this workout. Uh, the workout went great. The parents, you know, hit it off with me. And, uh, the, the, you know, the, the dad asked, is that what I want to do for a living? I said, yeah, you know, I love coaching. I love teaching the game. But, you know, I want to work in the NBA. I want to work with players, you know, throughout the league. And uh, they said that they could introduce me to someone that could possibly help, you know, no promises. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, long, they, they got me lined up with the Westchester Knicks. I worked the shot clock for the Westchester Knicks. Hand out my resumes, hand out business cards, oh, talk to man. anybody and everybody who came to the table, players, coaches. It didn't matter. So I was like, hey, you know, I train guys as well. You know, just just if you were interested, you know, you never know what could come out of it. Yeah. Um, there was an instance where I worked out Tanasa Santadokounmpo after a game. Literally, like right after the buzzer, he didn't go to the locker room. He was still in his uniform. You know, so I was working him out and an agent saw it. And, you know, I was just always around the players. And, you know, Chris Porzingis and I developed a relationship. So the same agency, the, the irony is the same agency that he was uh, signed under, the agent that watched the workout with Tanasis and just even talking to KP, 
he was there. So, nice. you know, they, they asked me to work out a guy named Brian Roberts first. And Brian was just finishing a stint with the Charlotte Hornets. And he was heading over to Greece. And they said, you know, first you'll have Brian as your tryout. But tomorrow you're going to have Serge Ibaka. So I'm like, I got, I got like 10, 12 hours to get ready for Serge Ibaka. And they're like, yeah, you know, if Serge likes you, great. You know, if and he doesn't, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> so uh, this was 2017. And, you know, Serge and I have been working together since. It worked out great. Like it was, it was phenomenal. And uh, it's such a blessing because it opened up so many other doors where the same facility that we were training at, the MBPA, which is located here in New York, they, you know, all these players come through, agents come through. So when you're working out guys and, you know, the best of the best is just going to be there, you know. So that's how I've been able to network with guys, not even just to train, but just like, you know, learn about the game. You know, that's the biggest thing and just kind of navigate the right way and do it organically and not, you know, skip steps. So. Yeah, it's, it was. It's been a crazy ride with that one, but it's been it's been pretty cool. That's awesome. And you know what I've what I love about, uh, and this is like the strong part of social media is, um, like following along and getting to know a little bit. Like you only obviously know a little bit of someone when you chat them on Twitter and that. But it's cool to like to see these this, the skills trainers who are about adding to people off the court in terms of like developing real relationships no not just mm-hmm. looking to click the ticket but you're like you know and you see it like um phil bigner a lot of these guys like it it's about these strong um values and ethics around around this and and i always see it on tweets that you guys put out and i'm like this is this is where it's at like it's not people might think you know you see these guys the nba players rock up in their game fits and um you know what i mean it looks like it's really glamorous and stuff but you don't people don't see the three a days and like the ice baths and all the horrible shit that these guys have to do to get not where they are. It's not, not even, it, it's just, so it's actually, it's really inspiring to see um, not just your journey from, you know, obviously the story you talked about, um, but actually pushing to be like, Hey, you know, if, if you're willing to put in the work, um, here are the rewards, you know? Yeah. And it works like, obviously like you are looking at, the best of the best when you see it on TV and the final product. And the, the funny thing is those guys, like it's just n- a number of reps that they put in just numerous hours where they, it just adds up that, you know, it's like, yeah, sure. They're, are they naturally talented? Yes. You know, you, you gotta be, if you're going to be in, in that point, but man, I, I tell people that all the time, like Serge is a guy, you know, Mason Plumley's a guy, like all these kind of guys, they spend legit hour and a half, two hours, like on the court, just strictly like working on specific stuff. So then like when it comes to game time and they're used to just doing the same motion over and over again, it's like, it's just mechanical, like, you know, muscle memory takes over and it's a lot of work and their bodies are beat up, but they push through it because they love it too. Yeah. Yeah. And it's cool because also when you dive a bit deeper as someone who's a fan of players or of teams and you see, you know, a guy like Serge was, I think he, he, he probably came into the league with a bit of a jumper, but some of these guys who've been able to transition their games into maybe a little bit more of like perimeter oriented at age 30 and stuff, mm-hmm. it just shows like if you, if you're willing to add to your game, regardless of the level you're at, then you're going to, you're going to have some sort of level of success. So you see someone like Serge, it's like, 
the the uh, and I think I remember you tweeting about it after he won the championship and the finals a couple of years ago. Um, here's a guy who was just killing the opposition with mid range jumpers, and like you know, it it changed the 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 game and the way that the other team was guarding because you brought in a guy here who's you know six, he's like basically a seven footer, um, who's has this this range, but is obviously able to play elite defense on the other end. So these guys just continue to add to their game and they're like, Hey, look, I didn't, I'm not just um, sold with this, my athleticism or my shooting range. It's they continue to add to their games. Right. Yeah, they do. And like, it's a continuous thing. Like just Serge is a great example, how he's able to, he's been able to morph from a guy who is just this defensive stalwart, you know, yeah. to now a guy who is known for stretching the floor and trying to, make defenses think twice about, you know, sagging off a little bit. You know, he shot 41% from three. And, yeah. you know, it's that's that's a pretty good number for anybody in the league. So it's, yeah. you, know, he's been play, you know, he's been playing well and he's been able to expand his game. And even just the small things where, you know, putting the ball on the floor with your left hand, like as something as remedial as it may sound, it's a very, very common thing throughout the league where guys need to work on that. You know, like I tell kids that all the time. Yeah. The, you know, using your offhand is the most important thing you could do to help expand your game. You know, film and taking care of your body and then your offhand. Yeah. It's necessary. I love it. What, you see, you train many NBA guys. What is it that separates, um, and I, I always ask this of, of, of trainers that, that have worked with NBA guys and elite guys, what is it that separates, uh, NBA players from normal people outside of athleticism and that sort of stuff. Like you talked a bit about work ethic. What other off like non-basketball things separates these guys from normal people? Man, I would say besides the athleticism, I think it's just you have to have a like you got to be crazy a little bit. <laughs> like you got to have you got to have some sort of thing that goes off and like the, every single dude that I work with, which is, which is refreshing because I'm competitive, yeah. you know, by nature, but every single one of them that I've ever trained, like that I consistently train, excuse me, let me phrase that will, will be pissed if they feel as if they didn't get better from the day before. Yeah. And it's like, I shot I shot six from ten from this spot yesterday. Why am I shooting four for whatever? Like you know what I mean? Like that it and and it's refreshing because then you're like, all right, well we're gonna go again. Like other people would just be like, oh I'm tired. Like we'll 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 focus on that tomorrow. I'm lucky where guys would be like, hell no, we're doing this. We're, we're doing this right. Hell yeah, yeah, right, right now. So um, but no, I think the the small things about the athleticism, like being able to study the game the right way, that helps too. You know, the NBA now has just been so, I wouldn't say diluted, but it's, you know, penetrating kick. Like, you know, so many guys shoot threes where it's like, this is what the game's turned into. Like, you're finishing right at the basket or you're finishing with the three. Yeah. And, um, you know, it it's just like you have to hit that open shot. Like, the consistency factor in not just like your athleticism, but like where you pick your spots. You know, guys have a go-to that they need um, and they can do at any point in time. Like, that's the, that's the difference between just, you know, a normal dude in college where, 
yeah, he plays high major D1, but there's guys that are play high major D1s that can't read, you know what I mean, like tag defense or, you know, man-to-man, they can't handle that. So that's a big difference between the two. And, you know, I, it's just the way that they move. You could tell you could tell the guy's a pro just by his gait. You know what I mean? Like the way that he's able to run down the floor. You look at his strides and, like, you're like, man, that is – that's beautiful to watch. Like that's a definitely, that's a pro. So I think those are the two most important things, but I think the consistency I, I I've from my end, at least I've seen every single guy that I've worked with will tell you, we're going to work out, you know, diligent, be intricate and uh, have a purpose. So I think those are the most important things. Yeah. 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 I love that. And, and you're right. They, they, that work ethic where, like, instead, Stephen Adams, shout out to Stephen Adams. He, like, it was a quote, it was, there was a quote, I don't know if it was in his book or just in a news article where he talked about how he got addicted to the process of getting better. And it's like, when I, when I read that, I was just like, you know, that's how someone who, you know, age 13 who couldn't play at all, you know, by age 19 was able to be drafted in the lottery and in the NBA was like, um just worked and worked and worked and worked and worked and just had just had some sort of an internal drive which was different to um like you said different to other normal human beings like you just yeah and you can't you can't tell a kid at 17 who has just say they may have nba athleticism you can't tell a kid at 17 that you need to do that i feel it needs to be intrinsically built into people i don't think that you can that you can try and tell someone to have that work ethic. I feel like you either have it or, or you don't. No, you you got to have it. Like, there's no way that you could be lazy and be in the league. Yeah. There, there are guys that can get away with it based off of just natural ability and, like, you know, their God-given ability, all that type of stuff. But to stay in the league and to be consistent, man, you can't be lazy at all. And you got to be diligent. I mean, it's a grind, like – those travel, you know, those travel days and like back to backs and brutal. just getting all it's brutal. And they have to understand like getting a lot of sleep, taking care of your body, eating the right way, like all that stuff that like you could say it <laughs> and kids would be like, yeah, no, nah, I got it. Like, cause you know, young guys, they can just hop out of bed. They don't have to stretch anymore. <laughs> they just No stretch. Like as a 19 year old, I stretch ice sleep. Do all that type of stuff because at the end of the day, you're looking for this is life changing opportunities, not just life changing money, but yeah. life changing opportunities to to furthermore your legacy, your career, the people around you, all that type of stuff. So I tell kids that all the time, man. It's not just basketball. Basketball could be used. Don't let it use you. Yeah, I love that. That's that's a dime right there. Um, I always ask this question of school students as well. Um, Sometimes, and we see it here in New Zealand as basketball is just developing, skills training sometimes gets a bad name within people that, or within the basketball community, because it seems like people don't know what to train, um, or, you know, it's like we've got these crazy dribble drills where, you know, people are throwing all sorts of random objects. And, and I know that there's, there's obviously um, different people have different ways, but if parents and kids are, are looking for someone to try and train their kids, what should they be looking for? out of the person that's going to be, that they're going to be giving their money to basically. Mm, man. 
putting you on the spot. <laughs> try to do homework. I would say, like, try to do homework where I know that there are a lot of parents who pay a lot of money to have their kids train with such and such. Those moves and some of those things that they do don't translate to game-like situations. And then and then they wonder why in a game where their kid does six dribbles in a row and they don't go anywhere, like, well, he can't get his shot off. Like, you know, it's, obviously this isn't working. Well, clearly <laughs> it's just not going to work. Um, yeah. No, nah, but, the, the, like, people, people have overcomplicated basketball, man. It's yeah. just such a – it's just yeah. such an easy game to play, and it's an easy – more importantly, it's an easier game to study. To, to like, playing is hard because physically you have to, like, put demands on your body and do all the things that you need to do when you're out there. But to study the game, like, you know, there's lots of actions. There's lots of sets. There's lots of things that you could do as a player to get better. And then once you get out there, it's your responsibility to – work on the little things and kind of build up, you know what I mean? Like build from the ground up instead of you just saying like, I want, you know, lightning in a bottle and an overnight fix. It doesn't work like that. Um, it doesn't work like that at all. So I tell parents, start watching games with your kids, start watching games, period. You know, like as, as best as you can. I mean, I know it's difficult to just watch an entire game sometimes, but you'll see like basketball, one dribble pull-ups, pump fake, one dribble pull-ups, escape dribbles. Those don't take no those don't take any more than three dribbles, four dribbles at a time. And you're able to create so much more space and so much so many more opportunities to score. Man, it's just it's just crazy to me. And I see like some of these videos that are sent to me from friends where <laughs> I never I didn't know flipping tires and like, you know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> They're doing CrossFit out here. <laughs> it's CrossFit. Like, I mean, he's got – he must have a hell of a left hook, like, and a jump shot. Like, he's got punching bags while dribbling, and, like, it's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. You know, but, yeah, do your homework. You know, parents should do their homework and, and really watch the game where – you. and also another recommendation is don't watch just where the ball goes. Yes. Watch yes. off the ball. Watch like how people set screens. Watch, you know, that's why I love watching, you know, we were talking about this before. Like I love watching Steven Adams play. I love watching, you know, bigs that aren't going to necessarily look to score, yes. but they do the little things right. You know, like I'm blessed to work with like Mason Plumlee's one of those guys too. You know, you just, you watch him off the ball and how he directs the defense or directs the offense and is able to just even create for others. And Steve does the same thing, you know, now that he's in new Orleans, like he did that in OKC. So it's, it's just very intricate and important for you to look at what people do off of the ball instead of just who has the rock in their hands. Yeah. Yeah. And I I feel that that's a tough transition. When I look at some, when I look at New Zealand, players as well obviously down here we don't have the high level of competition and some we see some of our more dominant players struggle when they get to the next level because they're not always able to to work well without the ball um Mm -hmm. and you know it's around that eight age 18 19 20 you know you're going to your first pro program or you're you know you're transitioning to to the states where you know you might have been the man in new zealand or australia but you you've gone over to d2 and you rock into the gym 
and everyone's the same size as you. <laughs> like some of them are probably stronger. Some of them are more ripped. Um, probably most of them can shoot better than you. Yeah, and maybe, you, you know, you didn't work on, um, if you were a two, three, you didn't work on um, even being a good screen setter. Um, you know, you, you weren't able to make more complex reads off the dribble as a passer. You know, you were just a good stationary passer. So it's like this, all the other um, sort of sub, the, the, the skills that are, I shouldn't say that they're below, but a lot of the off-ball stuff, or even on-ball, it's harder for, for a lot of people because it hasn't been pushed outside of just what yeah. you do on-ball. It's, it's a delicate thing to navigate because you don't want to become too isocentric you know what I mean? Like you don't want to just fall in love with the ISO game too much. Yeah. But you do need to. I'll I'll give people some credit with this. You do need to have that uh, that ability to create your own shot and to, you know, get in your bag, quote unquote, as yeah. the kids say. <laughs> that you know, you you got to be able to create your own shot, and you have to be able to be confident in creating your own shot. You know, anybody could just say, oh, "I'm going to be open. I'm going to." chuck up a shot, you know, if, if the time is winding down because you're forced to. Now, let's say, like, you're the only one out there and you need to and, like, you you know, the offense has been sputtering and you got to stop a run, yeah, give me the rock. Like, there's got to be that mental part of it to say, what could I do on a day-to-day basis to work on a go-to? Like, what what's my go-to? What can, what can I get to at any point in any time at my spot that I'm most comfortable with? And, you know, kids – Kids think that dribbling the ball in the same spot eight times and then doing whatever whatever move they got to do is that it's not. You could getting in your bag is could be as simple as no joke a jab step you know rip through step back like or you know one dribble pull up changing pace. That's that's it. Like that's what you need to do. So yeah, you know it's a delicate thing. Um, my my rule of thumb is don't dribble in the same spot any more than four times, <laughs> you know, unless you're Kyrie <laughs> or James. <laughs> so that's it. You know, if you could do it, if you have that ability and you're able to create just off of literally changing your pace, then go for it. But if you can't, let's learn the de- like, let's learn the details of being efficient. <laughs> One dribble pull up is a beautiful thing. Trust me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I got you. Yeah. And, so it's it's also efficiency of I don't know there might have been what you talked about but yeah efficiency of movement as well I think that kids um, and I, I mean I'm I'm not um, obviously as up on this stuff as you are but I feel like taking kids like learning to to take shorter routes and and trying to do things smarter on the court in terms of mm-hmm. spending less energy um, I mean if you dribble if you dribble out the clock going between the legs behind the back twelve or fourteen seconds obviously not only have you probably missed a couple of open teammates um but you're just expending so much energy by um you know rather than having that efficiency of movement and as you say looking for some of these simple some of these simple moves which is yeah like if someone's uh, you could attack a closeout or you know if you're a shooter and someone's closing out hard as you say um escape dribble pull up like these aren't you, you watch and if you watch the nba and you really like it you, you, and you do watch the game, always say you just watch one guy. And obviously it's not, at the highest level, it's going to be, you know, JJ Redick on the run coming off a screen, like high complexity. But if you watch guys making threes at the highest <coughs> level, like 
that it's that one dribble pull up or it's the escape dribble left right in the corner then it's like the breakdown of that what the footwork you know yeah. and all, all that kind of stuff and this can be learnt on and obviously you have to look for the right accounts but some of the stuff can be learnt on youtube these things are out there for kids it doesn't just have to be done in person nope it doesn't and when you learn footwork drills and you practice them consistently then it makes your life easier when you're it also makes you a better defensive player too so I train kids as well. I don't just strictly stick with NBA guys. I have I have legit grassroots all the way to NBA. Like I cover all the bases with with everybody and their skill sets. And the young kids, I would tell them when we do defensive drills, it's making you a better offensive player. And when you yeah. do your offensive player drills, <laughs> it makes you a better defensive player. Just because when we go over certain situations in, in our workouts, it's not just strictly like you're going to do this, these combos and you're going to do these floaters. And you're gonna do, no, like I'm, we go over defensive principles before that yeah. where I'll tell them, you know, there, there's a difference between help side and weak side. There's a difference between hedging and icing. And there's a difference between like I, I go over all that and we do drills to do those movements yes and then right after we're done with that i'll tell them okay so once we did once you faced this team that loves to ice or hedge what would you do when you get stuck you know because a lot of teams like to do you know that whole you know when they when they face teams that have high pick and rolls you know they want to stick their foot up and like push you towards the sideline like as far to the sideline as possible and then quote unquote ice you as best as you can it's not really like an ice but it's like a weaker version of it yeah and kids just immediately are like they're freaking out and they just kind of you know bring the ball back or then they try to dribble and escape out of it and then they get stuck in the corner or they just stop to dribble altogether pick it up yeah and i'm like we'll focus on that later on like, yes. but what would you do in this situation if you face those three types of defense? Because you are. Yeah. And that, that's the type of thing that I think most people don't look for yes. when they train kids in general, you know, or players in general. You know, you have to do your homework. You have to watch a lot of film. Like I watch a, a ton of film for the NBA guys yeah. because I know for a fact, like, that's what that's the only thing they're going to live on during the regular season. So, for, so okay, I get I get you now. So, like, if you're you know that, um, just say you're you had Jamal Murray was, a, for example, with someone you were training, and you know you knew that um, in that conference is going to be guys, he's going to be getting trapped or whatever. Then potentially you're going to be going and you're looking at ways to um, put things in place so that they know how to to beat that. So that so that, but there's no reason why people at lower levels can't do the same thing. No, and there's no reason why it's 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 tougher for like the high school kids because you can't necessarily like consistently. There's not a big enough sample size for yeah. people to be like, well, they're gonna run this defense or they're gonna like teams normally have their calling card where they run a certain set or they run a certain defense or they do whatever. And in the NBA, my guys, what I like to do is if I know, you know, like you use the example for Jamal Murray. So, like, if I had Jamal, I would 
obviously study the other teams in his d- division first. Yeah. Because I know you're going to play them four times. Or, excuse me. Yeah, you're going to play them four times. Excuse me. Yeah. Well, if you play... If you play this team four times and you know that you're going to face, you know, Utah, right, at a certain point where it's going to be a back-to-back and Gobert doesn't drop and Gobert does this or or Ingles hedges and Ingles, the whole offseason that we're together, I work on situations or scenarios yes. in which you are going to have to get rid of the ball quicker or hold it on for, hold it for a little bit longer. Yes. And this way, once you get comfortable with, well, Utah does this, and then Utah brings this guy, and then, then, then we do that for the entire offseason while also working on the things that your team wants you to focus on. Because I don't like to step on toes and just change a player's entire game unless the team is, unless the team is there saying he needs to work on this. And we're going to change this? Cool. Then that's what we're going to do. Um, so that's that's vital because culture is important for these teams. And then the culture then affects the development and the play of your client and your players. So if your guy starts playing poorly and yeah. teams are going to look at you saying, well, what did you do with your guy? And then, I, then you're like, well, what did you do with this guy? <laughs> so <laughs> so it's it's uh it it could be a catch twenty two, but it could also be a beautiful relationship. So I tell people that you should really do your homework and yeah and and make make it known. Find your voice. Like if you're training these players, they don't want to hear, well, maybe we could do this or maybe we could try this or there's no maybe. There's because no. you Yeah. We gotta get it done. And you're gonna get it done. <laughs> so, I think that's that's something that they respect and want to see the most. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Talking about um, culture and teams, um, it's been obviously you're a New York, New York dude. It's been awesome to see the change um, with the New York Knicks. You know, the I think not just the, the you know the competency in the in the front office, but you know, seeing a top defense like that's that's been awesome. Seeing the development of guys uh, from one year to the next, be it young guys or guys that are a little bit older. Well, what have you seen um, that's mean that? Uh, I mean, let's be honest. Um, the butt of jokes on NBA Twitter for a while, like they've just flipped the script, and and you know they've been they've been awesome, man. And and um, a, a bunch of dudes in there that have taken massive step forwards. What have you seen? out of the Knicks that have meant that they've been able to make those changes. These aren't your dad's Knicks. <laughs> These aren't <laughs> your daddy's Knicks. Uh, the Knicks have done a great job with focusing on player development and the culture aspect of it. But, you know, when Leon Rose was hired, I was ecstatic. I tweeted about that one pretty heavily. Where, um, And I, I was... I was looking at it from the point of view of not just the fact that, you know, this guy is connected to so many other players and whatever, like Leon Rose has a great basketball mind. And I've had the the privilege of knowing Leon for a couple of years and um, just being able to see what he, what he does and how he's able to communicate. But then also the fact that he actually knows the game. Like it's not, it's not one of those things where you're kind of hoping that he can develop a relationship with players. Like, 
he knows the game enough to say, well, this didn't work or that didn't work. You know, what what pieces could we plug in or what do you need as a guy, you know, as the, the guy on the team that could help us uh, in the future and develop you as a person and as a player? So Leon's great with that. Will, William Wesley's another one that, you know, you got to be honest, he's just, he's all, they, they don't call him worldwide West for nothing. You know what I mean? He's just, he's all over the place. He's in the know. And then people respect that because once you're comfortable enough with somebody, and you see that he knows the game as well on top of that comfort factor that, as I said, Leon is able to provide. Yeah. People see that. And because they're in New York City and, you know, the Knicks are just a lightning rod, whether they're bad or they're good. You know, when the, when the Knicks are good, the league is great. Agreed. And I think people are starting to see that now. Tibbs has done what Tibbs has done everywhere he's gone. You know, the guy is just... He's a win. Like, you know, he knows how to – I think he's done – and he did a great job by letting the players grind it out but not grinding them to the floor, you know, yes. through the ground. Like, yeah, those guys wanted to play that way. It wasn't like they were forced. You could tell, like, that was a different type of mentality that they had. Yeah. And even just being able to talk to some of them and seeing how they viewed working out and, like, finishing their workouts – they have their practice. They have their shoot around. Then, like the days that they're off, they're, they're leaving the facility at one thirty, two in the morning. Like, yeah, it's a beautiful thing to see. So those guys are really, really focused and diligent with that type of stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 awesome to see, man. Because at the, the end of the day, that you know, they, as you say, the big markets, it's the NBA needs those big markets to be strong. We I mean, obviously there's always going to be weak teams, um, mm-hmm. but by in the front office with someone of Leon Rose's caliber, um, you know, the, there weren't huge changes in personnel. It was like the dudes that have been signed before. And I think this actually reflects really positively. Sometimes a new front office will come in and they'll go and clear the, they'll just go and clear the decks. Whereas like these guys came in and you had people that were already there and they were investing back in the personnel they already had. I think that's a, that says a lot because, um, clearing the decks and just bringing in a whole bunch of new people it, it doesn't it doesn't always work so that's been that's been a real um, breath of fresh air to to see their, like RJ their additions to sorry go ahead I'm sorry that's right now so I was just saying like guys like RJ Barrett you know it's awesome oh yeah yeah so in terms of the roster yeah they didn't they they changed a, a few you know they added Nerlens Noel and Burks and you know there were additions and Bullock was able to take a jump and R.J. Barrett took a leap in terms of his development, and and Julius did the same. But I'll, I'll tell you this. Kenny Payne is a huge, huge reason as to why the Knicks are the way they are right now. And, you know, Johnny O'Brien's the same, the same way, and, like, those two focusing on player development – and just being able to have a relationship with players well enough to say, this isn't this isn't going to cut it. Like, I think you, you can't tiptoe around guys yeah. if you want to get better. You can't. You, you just have to strictly say, enough with the losing, enough with this. Like, let's focus on defense. And, like, the perimeter defense was, has always been an issue with the Knicks. It's always been, like, you know, their Achilles heel. As much as many people want to make jokes about how the team's just bad overall, 
you know, that was something that they were desperately looking to fix. And they did. They did a great job. You know, they, they were number one in defensive efficiency during several points of the year and defensive rankings. And But then on the offensive end, just the little things like, sure, I know that there were times where the, the Knicks offense seemed stagnant. However, the the fact of the matter is when they were able to even just get shots up or when they were able to run sets that looked competent, they had confidence in what they were running, not just necessarily running it because they knew the play, if that makes sense. So you're you're looking at how guys are running to set screens, running to pass and cut, like off-ball screens on the baseline. Like there were many instances in which you can make a case where they were running the triangle offense in a way that was, you know, it's supposed to be ran and it's efficient. And all these guys are able to touch the ball and move and they were able to spread the, it was, it was great to see. So the, the Atlanta, the Atlanta series was just, some teams ran out of gas, you know, like at some point or another, people have to look at how the team quote unquote overachieved and how they could build from this. And the future's bright there, man. They have a lot of money. They have some cap, you know, uh, some some picks, draft picks. And then most importantly, they have now they have a real de- development culture there that's top notch. So, yeah, you know, if I'm a Nick fan, I'm excited with that one. Yeah, that's awesome, man. What um the the la- the last revolution we saw in the NBA was um you know was pace and space. You know, first it was um you know, like the seven seconds or less sons with Mike D'Antoni. And then after that, it was, it was the shooting revolution around shooting threes. Do you, what do you, do you have any prediction around another revolution or, or another change in the way that the game is played? Could it be teams playing? Like we seen, we see it a bit in college where um, you know, teams play tra- two traditional bigs together. Do you see any real changes in, in the game moving forward that could, that could alter the landscape significantly again? It would have to be another generational talent that comes into, you know, Steph really, <laughs> Steph really turned the league upside down with his ability to shoot the three and just kind of just, you know, you got buckets and bunches and these guys were just like it, you know, Golden State kind of put everybody on notice on how it's a copycat league. The NBA looks at how, they were they were scoring a bunch of points with the three, and they had two of the greatest shooters we've ever seen in the backcourt. It's hard to duplicate that. <laughs> so, so what can we do next? Like, let's have all of our bigs shoot threes, and let's just see how far we can do in terms of how far we can get. Excuse me, with having bigs stretch the floor and you know making defense stay as far away from the paint as possible, make it easier for our stars. And there's just so many so many factors that come into play, but. It would have to take a player to Luca might be the guy who who does the next revolution. Yeah. You know, where where teams are gonna look for the player that's so cerebral and his basketball acumen is through the roof. And he I tweet I was joking around with somebody, but I was like, you know, he's slower than a bad, you know, church service. Like he's just he's just it's painfully slow watching him play, but he is he gets to his spots. He has great step backs. He has great change of pace, and he's so much faster and quicker than people think. 
But it's not because he's just physically faster. It's just that he's mentally like two, three steps ahead of yes. what the guy's thinking. So I think teams are not going to scout for players that know how to use their, their size, know how to use their spots, like to operate from the pinch post. I think that's the next revolution is yeah. pinch post play and like, you know, starting from everything inside out, but not inside out as in terms of the post player getting the ball on the block and kicking out. But, you know, those pinch, those opportunities to score from pick and roll, pick and pop, but strictly from the pinch post, I think that's going to be the next thing, the next it thing. Yeah, I, lo I love that one. So Luca is a player that's like he, and it's it's almost like he, you he, use that um, comparison with use that comparison with LeBron James a little bit, where he's making passes like could be behind the back, over the head. He's doing things that um, that you see very few other that other guys are able to do, and he makes other guys like Tim Hardaway Jr. is a good example. Like he's a great shooter. But he makes he ma he's going to get guys paid because he gets guys open. You know he passes. Oh yeah. Guys. And, oh yeah. And he has touch that you don't. And that's why it's crazy he didn't that he obviously didn't go first in the draft. But he has touch around the rim. Um, and even like you know he shot a one foot um, three. You know sort of running. I think it was a, it was kind of running across court. He has touch and vision. Um, and as you say, as basketball acumen, like you can't. You can't, can't teach, teach that. And those type of skills, I think, at, at the top of the draft, when you're looking to draft a guy, um, it's like, what are they now? Like, what do they actually have right now? You know, they they could be crazy athletic, but what do they? What skills do they have now that actually translate um, yeah. and putting the ball in the hoop? And sometimes I feel like that the way that teams draft in terms of development, um, it doesn't. It's not always the best way. What someone is like now, if you're, you know, whatever he had 20, 25 points in these EuroLeague finals, he was already that guy then. Yeah, at 17, 18. <laughs> just, just absolutely killing these guys. And, like, walking into walking into his first season, I was a, I mean, I was a believer of him because I watch a lot of EuroLeague basketball. Yeah. And I just saw the way this kid operated from – um, from 25 out and he threw a pass he threw like this behind the back pass it's on YouTube but he threw this behind the back pass from literally like the top of the key and just was able to find Tavares I think it was and I'm like oh my goodness like this kid's 17 and he looks thick he looks like he's like a big body kind of guy and then when I did my research on him I found out how tall and how big he was I was like, oh, this kid's going to be phenomenal in the league just because the way that the league works yeah. and no hand checking and just him being using his physicality. And I didn't know he had a step back like that. I didn't know that that was coming. So Luca, Luca might be the revolution point forward kind of thing because he's not typical point guard. Yeah. And on the flip side too, like as I said, the whole hybrid forward point hybrid point thing. Yeah. Uh, Zion is Zion dabbled with it a little bit too, you know, towards the end of the year playing the point. And New Orleans offense went through the roof yes. when he was the primary ball handler slash point guard. Yeah. 
And it was very, very interesting to see how Stan ran sets for him going downhill still, but he was able to facilitate for so many others. So that might be, that might be the move, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I think it's fascinating. That's what, that's the beauty of the NBA is that, you know, the shooting revolution didn't just creep up. It didn't creep up on us, but when teams were looking to get advantages, um, you know, the, the, the nineties to two thousands board, I don't want to ever call the NBA weak with what it was like in the early 2000s, but it didn't have it didn't have the supercharged offenses that we saw 2010, 2015, 2020. But you, the NBA always has some has some sort of storyline and and some exciting change or something new that's coming in. And and like you talked about the point forward um, teams running offense through. Joel Embiid, Nikola Jokic, and not, and not only that, these are international players, you know? Like, how. That's, that's a great point. That's a great point. I can't believe I forgot the MVP. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's similar, though. Like, he here's, here's a guy who his game isn't built on athleticism, you know, played against. Yusuf Nurkic has more, had more athleticism in that first round matchup, but just having that amazing vision and, and credit the NBA for. The, the game being truly global when you have, um, you know, someone like Hachimura was was a good example. E- even though they obviously didn't do well in that first round, he was getting buckets into the game. He's a guy coming from Japan. Um, we've got Africa, New Zealand, like, and these guys aren't just coming in and playing a role. They're dominating. We just talked about three guys that are, that are going to be um, NBA first team and, and Jokic, Embiid, um, and Luka. Luka. It's it's amazing for the game to be so international. I think it's also a testament to the growth of the game because Giannis has won it the last two years. Jokic yep. won it this year. Uh, Gobert's won it Defensive Player of the Year the last two years, I believe. Yeah, it's it's interesting, man. I don't know who got six man yet. I don't know if they. I forget, but. Clarkson. It, it, it was close to England. Clarkson, right? Jordan Clarkson. Jordan Clarkson got. Well, I mean, he's local, but they. Um, but you know, even defensive player. I mean, Ben Simmons was up for defensive player of the year. Yes. And you know, him coming from Australia, it's not necessarily like he's European, but he's not. His game wasn't built here. Let's just say that. And he had a lot of American. Yeah. You know, factors put into play. I guess you can say by his dad and whatnot. But by the same token, he still is considered international talent. And, but Jokic completely put the league on its head. You know, Embiid should have won MVP if he was healthy. Yeah, it's just it is what it, like you're talking about two the two best centers in the league actually are both international dudes. So yeah. it's kind of cool. It's it's actually very cool um, yeah. to see that and the growth of the game worldwide. Yeah, um, I th- I. Th- I think that the that the league's in a really good place in terms of um, of that international talent. Um, put a spanner in the works. Do you think that that the league at all feels threatened by the best players being international, or is that is that pushing the boat out too far? No, I don't think so. I mean, you because then you're also looking at you're you're, you're looking at revenue. <laughs> you're looking at growth. The BAL that's in a that's taken place that took place, excuse me, this year, it's awesome. Was a phenomenal, phenomenal event. 
from all from all parts and everybody that I knew that was a part of it, both player, administrator, executive, they all loved the idea. And it turned out to be a pretty good event, great event. I wouldn't be shocked if they started doing that, you know, everywhere in other parts of the world. Yeah. You know, if there's an Asian, you know, basketball league for, through that's affiliated directly with the NBA. And, and you know, EuroLeague is going to be tough to always compete with when it comes to, like, you know, those Eastern European teams and Spain and, you know, Real Madrid and whatnot. We, we get that. You know, they're, they're kind of – they have their own history that should be respected as well. But people are still going still, to be attached to anything NBA-related. If it says NBA or anything that's affiliated with the NBA, you know, they're going to be uh, flocking to it. So I think it's good. I think it's just good for the game and it's going to force people to catch up here where development is lacking because talent's not lacking, but development is lacking. And I've been in situations where when I was training guys in Lithuania, I mean, kids there are so fundamentally sound. It's it's like they're like machines and it's like beautiful to watch them shoot, beautiful to watch them have one dribble pull ups, two foot floaters, like basic stuff where it's like this is awesome. But then the, the difference between them and like the elite USA players is the athleticism sometimes, but then also just them creating off the dribble and not following that system. Yes. And that's the only difference. And like, you know, the rest of the world is catching up. Because they can see stuff on YouTube, they can come to camps, they can do whatever. And, you know, like a team like Canada this year is going to be loaded. Yeah. And it's interesting because Canada wasn't one of those things, wasn't one of those countries where you're like, I'm thinking that as a basketball country. I'm thinking that's strictly hockey. <laughs> and now they have so many great talent, you know, so many great players in the league and, and Australia. Australia in the last Olympics, same situation. Like we're talking like several really good players and yeah, it's cool. I think it's just cool for the game. Yeah. It's, a, it's great, man. And I, I, th I, I, I hope that it continues. We're going to, uh, we're going to close this one out, David. I really appreciate you jumping on, um, talking hoops, talking about your journey. Um, I really appreciate you and, and keep up the good work. And I know that, um, Serge won't be the first NBA champion that you will train. <laughs> That's the first one. That's the first one. He won't be the last. <laughs> Lord willing, knock on wood. We got that. <laughs> Appreciate you, man. Have a great day. Thank you very much for having me. Appreciate it, Steve. Take care.